Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, December 12th, 2022, and you're listening to episode 153 of the Can I Say Something podcast. I'm your host, Anna Reckless, with the Juicy Caboose, Damien. Joining me today is... Derek McDuff. On today's show, we will be discussing what is and what isn't on the 2022 Sight and Sound Greatest Movies of All Time list. Afterward, we'll be getting to what we've been watching, including She Said, The Fablemans, After Sun, and much, much more. Right into the show at Can I Say Something Podcast at gmail.com, at Bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, family member, or stranger. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. Not not too bad. Feeling refreshed and rested. Um, I just got back from a camping trip a couple days ago. It was a nice little escape, uh, so I'm good. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. I'm feeling cozy over here. Uh, northeast just got hit, hit with uh, two to three inches, like I was telling you before. Um, seems like a thick two to three inches, so I think maybe... Uh, Mother Nature is compensating for something. <laughs> not sure, what's we, going we on got there? Hit, yeah, we got hit with two to three inches of, of like rainwater. Like all, all there was so much rain yeah. that it was starting to pile up. Probably about at least that that much on all the the off ramps, and just I was like, yeah. it was just huge. Like I was getting off, and just huge waves of water were coming off. The, so yeah, it's crazy, crazy weather everywhere. I guess. Weather everywhere. Speaking of crazy, got a crazy list. Oh, <laughs> what a nice out. transition! Yeah. Wow, wow. Thank you, thank you. Right. Sight and sound. We were talking about this for a while, maybe like a month before it even came out. <clears throat> talking about what will be on it, what won't be on it. Will they include any newer movies on it? Will they include uh, female filmmakers? Will they include international artists? Will they include superhero movies? Unfortunately, no superhero superhero movies were included on the list this time, but there was some major shakeups, but we will get to that. Um, Just so people know what we're talking about, uh, Science Sound is a list that has been around since 1952. I have an article pulled up from the New York Times. They did a very cool um, interactive article on there that sort of broke down Sight and Sound, uh, what it is, where it came from. So it started in 1952, and they they've been uh, putting together a you know a list, uh, the the gold standard list. Everyone's calls and calls it that, calls it that. Um, Roger Ebert on here says it was quote by far the most respected of the countless polls of great movies, the only one most serious movie most serious movie people take seriously. Um, so it started in '52, the first one on the list, the first one that uh, was named number one best movie of all time in 19, 1952, <clears throat> was Bicycle Thieves, uh, Vito Vitorori di Sica's neorealist drama Bicycle Thieves, which released a mere four years before the site before the list started. Um, following it, number, at number two was City Lights. And Gold Rush tied for number two. So that's interesting. Um, I love City Lights. It's one of my favorite movies I went back to. I once saw when I was seeing all of the uh, silent movies from that era. One of, my, one of my favorite ones from that time. Number seven was The Passion of Joan of Arc. You had things like Les Millions, a French comedy. Um, and then 10 years later, um, they upped their respondents. A drastically different set of winners, says the article. Um, Bicycle Thieves still made the cut, as did Sergei Einstein's Stein's Battleship Potemkin, but no more lottery tickets or little tramps, and the top spot went to a newcomer that would get pretty comfortable as number one Citizen Kane in 1962, which would hold the spot for a half a century. For 50 years, it would stay there, um, stay at number one. 
Um, you had things like Jean Rewars, Jean Rewars, The Rules of the Game, Renoir, uh, Rules of the Game. Uh, Ozu's Tokyo Story would be there for a while. Eight and a Half would be there for a while. Um, uh, you're, you're, they, they're saying a film 101 class would have a lot of the stuff in the 1972 top 10. So you had a lot of Wells's, you had Ingmar Bergman in there. Um, in 72, it says Wells and Ingmar Bergman alone were responsible for more than a third of what the respondents considered the greatest films of all time. And then, in 1982, Alfred Hitchcock's finally made his appearance. Horror and suspense were, and still are, largely outsiders in great film discussions, but here we see Vertigo enter at number 7 and creep north until 2012. It had supplanted Citizen Kane in the top spot, generating headlines around the world like Slate's three theories for how Vertigo dethroned Kane. Still, every film but one in the top 10 had appeared at least on at least one previous list. But when this year's Sight and Sound list was unveiled on December 1st, the list featured surprises galore. So before I get there, tell me, what was your reaction to seeing what film became number one in Sight and Sound's list of best movies of all time? I was like, what, what is this movie? I was like, <laughs> what is this? I was like, what the fuck? And, and then I was, and then when I think it was you who was telling me about it, I was like, I think I remember hearing about that in like a fucking like video essay that I was watching, like a, some one of those lists that um, uh, right. like one of those top ten lists. Uh, I was just like, oh, okay, like I barely even know this fucking. I barely heard of this right. movie. This is the best movie of all. Like when you told me, I was like, oh, it's on. It's saying that it's on the list, and I was like, oh no, it's yeah. number one. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, just for context, it was Jean Dielman, Chantal Ackerman's Jean Dielman, a uh, very um, sort of experimental, sort of our house, sort of Archie Farty uh, movie from 1975, stars Delphine Seerig and Jeanne de Corset. Um, the synopsis is a lonely, widowed housewife does her daily chores, takes care of her apartment where she lives with her teenage son, and turns the occasional trick to make, make ends meet. However, something happens that changes her safe routine. So like I said, I had heard of this. Um, Film Spotting did a um, blind spotting sort of uh, marathon, <clears throat> marathon in 2020 when you know movies stopped coming out, so they had to find something else to, to talk about. So they went back into like auteurs of the 70s and international auteurs, which included Chantal Ackerman and included her movie here. Um, it is a three and a half hours. Um, it is a movie that forces you to sort of sit in her mundaneness, in the mundane um, routine of her life. And I think uh, sort of what they were talking about on Film Spotting and what they what the movie is essentially about is about, you know, a woman's role in society, a woman's role in the household, um, how much you watch her for three and a half hours doing you know, peeling potatoes, making the bed, cleaning the bathrooms, things like that. So you're sort of forced into to for you're forced to sort of sit in her routine for three three and a half hours. Um, about two hours into it, you see, or maybe a little less, um, you sort of see her a little bit frazzled, a little bit upset about something that happened to her, and then you see her, her routine start to crack and sort of start to fall apart, and you're sort of wondering what happened and what's going to continue to happen. So it's a very interesting movie that sort of forces you to. You know, definitely in our day and age forces you to sort of sit in her life with her and sort of watch her very subtly and very nuancedly uh, sort of break apart. And I thought it was a very compelling performance and probably it, it is worth watching, I would say, for the ending, which I won't spoil here, but I would definitely recommend checking this out if you have have if you have a spare three and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. sounds pretty fucking boring, but uh, <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's, yeah. it's it's one of those movies I'm like I, it's just 
this look like lo- looking over yes. the list i was like there's yes. definitely some amazing films on here and there's some films that i'm going that i, I plant and some stuff that i really want to defend against the fucking void of just right pieces of shit that is film twitter um th- uh but god this list is fucking pretentious and this <laughs> is this is like the the pinnacle of that just like what's the greatest sure. film ever made just watching a lady peel potato i'm like Fucking, okay, potatoes, we get yeah. it. We get it. You went to yeah. like look at fucking goddamn um, Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho was one of the voters, sure. and he reveals his ballot, and it had like Mad Max Fury Road and fucking all these incredible films yeah. on. It. And there's there's only places for those films. Like those films are incredible, and they yeah. deserve to be talked about and studied right. and everything else. But you know what? They're not the only films. Mad Max Fury Road is also a fucking cinematic masterpiece. And yes. the and that does, did not make the list, and nothing like it made the <laughs> list. It's a lot of this this you know indie foreign depressing shit, which as I've said, I love, but I don't need to see all hundred films just be that. Yeah, um, you know there were some uh, additions this year from you know from the recent times, and Bong Joon Ho's um, Parasite did make uh, the list at what fifty, correct? Um, or was it uh, 80? So I'm just, I, it's somewhere on the list. I am not sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just looking through, you know, talking about how it's sort of changed. Um, so, 63, uh, St. voters uh, did the voting in 1952. Um, it's given away to more than 1,600 in 2022. And so I think what you're seeing is a lot more women in that uh in the voting block, you see a lot more international voters in that voting block. Um, so I think that definitely contributed to this new sort of, um, you know, contemporary list and this new sort of very variety laden list, right? You have a lot of more women uh, directors on the list for the first time. You have Denis Villeneuve. Um, this is the first time you have two women directors, Denis Villeneuve, Chantal Ackerman were the first uh, women to ever appear on the list and they both made it. Um, uh, well, they made it in, in 2012, it says, um, we're joined this year, sorry, in 2022, there are seven women on this list. Uh, Celine Sciamma with uh, Portrait of Leanne Fire, which I'm sure you were happy to see on there, correct? Yes. Um, you have Julie Dash, you have Maya Darren, Agnes Varda, Vera Chilvoga, uh, Barbara Loden, and Jane Campion were, both, were uh, also on the list. So I think, you know, saying it's a lot of hody uh, tordi a lot of auteur, a lot of artisty things on there, but it's also good to see a lot of uh, more representation on the list, correct? Yeah, that's the thing that I'm really happy about is that the auteurs and the hody tordi people of color and women and uh like lgbtq people also are represented so that's that's good we're allowing more kinds of hoity-toity films to get representation which is which is very (laughs) nice um and that's one thing i wanted to talk about is that yeah uh i kind of without realizing that it had dropped went on to twitter and just saw all these i just saw all these takes on erupting on twitter that i didn't even (laughs) at first know what they were like just people so so angry that portrait of a lady on fire was 30 and everyone was losing their fucking minds and like that is an incredible movie that is a movie that is better than than in my opinion anything on the list or a lot most of the stuff that have been on any of these lists it's a fucking great film but all of the film bros were upset and people were upset because the four that I, let me think like if i can get them right off the top of my head the four that were uh, on the list from the most recent decade um since 2012 since it was released were moonlight 
um, Get Out, uh, Portrait of a Lady yes. on Fire, and um, Parasite, as you mentioned. Uh, those films yes. are all yep. either about um, uh, LGBTQ people, um, people of color, or all of the above, um, or women. About um, class as well, yeah. Yes, yes, and people were very upset. And like, there was one take that I saw, somebody was like, recency bias. I'm like, there's four films from this decade. How many films from the fucking 70s are on there? Like, that's not, Yeah. you're an idiot. Um, and just, <laughs> I don't know, just like people were just so mad, and they're like, well, there's not a single one of, uh, you know, they're, they're, how is Chinatown not in here? Fuck Chinatown, that's a bad movie. That is a fucking <laughs> cynical piece of shit movie that I despise made by a rapist pedophile and sure. like people need to shut the fuck up about like if you're people are almost getting so close to saying the quiet part out loud being so upset that yeah. like women and people of color and diverse like people of other sexualities are getting on this list now and it's not just a collection of fucking white dudes and yes. that's there so they are definitely you know just getting real upset about that which is which is just bullshit and i i i think this list is incredibly pretentious as i said but you know like like i liked parasite a lot i don't know that i would say it's one of the hundred films of all time but i'm i'm not upset that it's on there Ooh. (laughs) yeah i I think i would i think i would yeah yeah, i I don't think i loved parasite as much as as most people um i liked it a lot but it wasn't like as transcendent for me um i'd say probably the same thing about moonlight um, there are movies that I, especially Moonlight is a movie that I Moonlight that I wanted to like a lot more than I did, um, but especially with Get Out and Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like those are both stone cold masterpieces. Like in yes. my book, they are movies that if any at any time if somebody's like, hey, I'm gonna put on Get Out, I would be like, yeah, let's let's fucking watch it. That movie's so goddamn good, and um, I'm I'm really glad that that representation is happening and you know all the fucking trolls that are they're coming out of twitter to just to bash these things need to shut up um but also at the same time you know i don't want to i want i don't want to seem that i'm like aligning myself with the people who are now uh attacking (laughs) ao scott because he doesn't have top gun on his list you know fucking elon musk saying that ah the new york times has gone woke because woke, ver- woke versus woke. Uh, <laughs> what a fucking so, idiot! Oh my god! Ah. It's just it's just like I'm like you know I I, I feel yeah. like I'm, I'm I'm trying to be a, a a good middle ground when it comes to films. Right. <laughs> and right. I, I you're I the Hillary Clinton is, of movie reviewers. <laughs> no, I'm not. Const- <laughs> I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna. You're not gonna okay. bait me with that. You almost did. But uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, no. I, yeah. I I definitely think there's places for all kinds of films in a list like yes. this but I, I am I will also say finish by saying I'm glad that this list like you mentioned does constantly revise and um, update itself unlike something like the AFI list which was they had a list in 97 they had a list in 2007 and then that's been it um, and you know some of that stuff is is kind of dated you're like really this this is still on the 100 greatest movies of all time like maybe in 2007 Sixth Sense which is a good movie seemed like it was the 93rd best yeah. movie of all time or something or Yankee Doodle right. Dandy like that's still on the list but um you know this is feels much more culturally relevant um to film today and and it's also good and I will say that it is good to have a list like this so that you know you can maybe be like oh wow this is a movie that I hadn't heard of and I probably would not have watched 
the number one film on this list if it wasn't number one on this list and now I'm going to at least try and make an effort to watch it yeah good good yeah well said um talk about the pretentiousness of the list I'm just going through here and seeing what was taken off um we talked about things were added let's talk about things were taken off uh Jean-Luc Godard's um Sorry, not John Luc Godard's. They say, by contrast, Godard's nemesis, Bergman, um, <laughs> saw three of his four top 100 titles vanish this year. Only one of his movies, Persona, remains. So, Only you know, one? Th- oh, no. <laughs> well, that's what I'm going to say. Like, I've seen I've seen some Bergman, and I think if you're talking about pretentiousness in films, I think that is, he is one of the most pretentious filmmakers, and people <laughs> that enjoy his movies are some of the most pretentious uh, film watchers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going through the, the bottom of the list here, seeing if there's anything other of note um, to talk about here. Those things were the taken off. Um, you know, look at the list. I just posted that in our in our Discord. Um, do you see what I see in terms of like cowardness, cowardness of of just like after 21, everything everything uh, past 21, above 21 is a c- cemented is by itself. Almost everything after 21 is like this is tied for for 22nd, tied for 24, t- tied for 33. It's like. Pick one. <laughs> well, I think that's that in here. Were like, the, the way the votes rolled out, you know, like just. I guess, was, but you, you have know, six like, here. You have six here tied for sixty-seven. You have you have Tar- Tarkovsky's uh, Andrei Rublev, uh, Lajit, uh, Lajit, the Red Shoes, the Gleaners, and I, and Metropolis, all tied for sixty-seven. Like, pick one. They're all very different movies. They, I would, I would they, pick that's how shoes. the votes yes. w- w- worked. That's that's the ma- that's the math. That's the math. That's the math. Okay, but then don't have like an even number of voters. That's they could very easily or just you know just pick one. Um, you have how many? Holy crap! You have like six tied for seven. 78th <laughs> but it doesn't that like doesn't like that dilute the importance of the pick like if you're saying this is the 78th best movie of all time but also this one and also that one just like what is, if you're if you're trying to say to the public right we are picking the best the, the definitive 100 best movies of all time how can it be definitive if you have like seven movies tied for 78th well i think if you were talking about a movie in the top five i would probably agree with you but i really yeah I really don't care that there's six movies tied for 78. Sure. You know, I wouldn't be sure, like, well, okay. <laughs> this one, this one should be 79, and this one really should be 77. Like, I mean, they're all. It's at that point, it's like, who, who cares if one is marginally better sure. than the other or tied? You know, I, I suppose. I think, but you know, Parasite, Parasite's down there. It's like it's Parasite is 90th, but also Yi is 90th, but also the the Earrings Madame D, a very pretentious movie. It's like Parasite. You were saying you didn't like it uh, as much as most people. I think that is the least pretentious movie on here, or one of the most least pretentious movies on here. Parasite is because that thing moves. Like I've watched that like three times because it just moves. Like there's so many great scenes. There's so many great dialogue scenes of dialogue. There's so many great moments in that movie that I just go back to and want to revisit over and over again. I don't think you can say that about like you know 2001: A Space Odyssey. You know. <laughs> uh, the least pretentious movie on the list is definitely Blade Runner, but um, or maybe The Apartment actually. Cool. But uh, yeah, The Apartment yeah. maybe. Um, or something like a, anything Billy Wilder. A lot of there's some Billy Wilder on the yes. Something like it hot is not. I don't think is pretentious at all. But um, yeah, um, yeah. Spirit Away, My to- My Neighbor Totoro World. Those yeah. are very good movies. Yeah, Daisies um, is twenty eight, and that shit is the most pretentious thing I've ever seen in my fucking <laughs> life. I fucking hate Daisies. <laughs> um, you know, Tarkovsky's down here a couple times. I see Mirror. I see Andre Rublev. I watched Stalker uh, a couple of years ago, and that thing just woof. It's just like dude, three dudes in a room talking, and the camera just sitting there. I think you mm-hmm. know, a camera just sitting. 
looking at a person is pretty pretentious. And I know I'm saying this after watching a movie where it's <laughs> camera <laughs> sitting silently watching a woman peel potatoes for three hours. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like I said, there's room for pretentiousness in movies. I, yes. I'm, I'm fine with that, but I don't want 97 of the top 100 to all feel the same like they're the same kind of movie you know there's room for other genres than just depressing real life shit you know which is why i'm really glad that blade runner managed to stay on here because the rest is all pretty much just like just these intense dramas it looks like you know maybe yeah pretty much honestly there's there's i guess you know with your, your your miyazaki's there is a little bit of fantasy um, and I guess some like it hot is a is a comedy, but that's about it, honestly. Looking at this list, yeah. Um, do the right thing. It moves pretty quickly. Um, I would say by the searchers is pretty good. It moves pretty quickly. Um, Godfather, obviously, Godfather two dropped out. Did you notice that? I did they, because they a lot of one. people on Twitter were complaining about. It. They're like, "How is Portrait <laughs> of a Lady on Fire better than Godfather do?" I think I think what we've learned from this conversation is you should probably get off Twitter, <laughs> just for yeah, your own no, that's, that's mental right. health and mental well-being. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, any any other thoughts uh, before we leave the Sight and Sound 2022 list and wait for the 2032 list? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think you know it's you know like I said a pretty homogenous list. I would just like to see um, a little more diversity. Uh, I am going to probably try and see. A lot of these on here, I looked and I think I've seen um, a third of them, almost exactly. I think I've seen 33 of the films. Yeah. So, um, you know, I do have a ways to go. Probably by the time I finish, though, 20, uh, 2033 will be out or 2032 will be out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So, yes, good list. Good discussion. Love love that uh I just love that they put into their list and just, you can never make anybody happy, right? With, yeah. some, with stuff like that. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so moving on. Stuff we have seen this week. I'll get us started. Um, I saw the movie She Said, directed by Maria Schrader. This is the movie about the New York Times investigation into the, um, let me forget the guy's name, um, Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein's, yeah, Harvey Weinstein's, uh, you know, decades-long um, campaign of molestation and abuse and harassment of women in the entertainment industry. Um, the stars Carrie Mulligan, Zoe Kazan, Patricia Clarkson, Andre Brower. Um, I didn't really care for this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is very self-congratulatory, very pat itself on the back. Um, I think we're living in a post-serial uh, world, serial being the podcast that was about Anand Syed, which he just got released just recently, which is very interesting. They did a whole podcast about that. Um, so I think, you know, because of that and because of the popularity of investigative journalism like that, I think there is this, like, pull. There's this, like, new way of telling stories and telling investigative stories where I'm, I was thinking about this I'm, and I'm wondering your opinion on it, which is... Uh, you know, Sarah Koenig, uh, whether she wanted to or not, very much became part of that story. And I feel like, unfortunately, going forward, we might be seeing more of that where the um, reporter and the journalist become more and more 
part of the story. Um, and I think you're seeing the uh, that here, definitely put, put on display here, where the two reporters, Megan Tui and Jody Cantor, are very much uh, front center in this movie. Um, I think they did not put, you know, the, the victimizer, the abuser front and center, which is a good thing. They put the, the victims more front and center, um, which is a good thing. But I think they... There's way too much about Megan Toohey's and Jodie Cantor's life. Um, I think if you look back on some of the uh, movies about journalism, even from the past 10 to 15 years, like Spotlight and uh, The Post and things like that, uh, those movies very much did not put the journalists uh, up front or their lives up front at all. Or, or especially, uh, the thing that bothered me the most was you know the journalist's feelings about the case itself. This movie very much puts the journalist's feelings on the case uh, up front, which I think was a mistake. Um, so yeah, I wasn't really too high on it. I think um, Zoe, Zoe Kadan um, is a fairly talented actress. I think Carrie Mulligan is much more so. Um, and so I don't think she held her weight against the other actors in this. I think they could very much see that. But, you know, that could be also said that it's that that, that was a point. I think um, Jodie Cantor was the sort of fresh face in there. So I think maybe that was to its uh, benefit in some way. Um, but yeah, didn't really care for it that much. Uh, were you looking forward to seeing this? I do want to see it. Um, just, it's interesting the way you describe it. It may, it reminds me more and more and more of another very famous film, journalism film of two journalists going up against an extremely powerful person and exposing corruption. And that's all the president's men because, you know, that's, that's a movie from the seventies. Um, I believe yeah. uh, that is, you know, obviously about Woodward and Bernstein, two real life journalists and them taking down um, President Nixon um, or, you know, discovering yes. the, the Watergate scandal. And that one, I believe it, it did have a lot of their personal stuff in it. So it does sound like it rings a lot of bells or uh, is a, very similar. You know, that's obviously was um, the script for that was uh you know it it was highly fictionalized um done by my favorite screenwriter of all time william goldman um so you know i i don't know how i would feel about she said but based on what you were saying i mean some of those negatives yeah i might be interested in uh, some of the things you're describing as negatives i might be interested in just because i love all the president's men and um i do i also like spotlight is another journalism film yeah I like a lot and then the post obviously is, is definitely in conversation uh, directly, it assumes you've seen all the president's men. Um, so I, I'd have to see she said and see see how it compares. I haven't heard a lot about it to be honest, other than just the trailer that I've seen a couple times. I have not really heard any critical response or anything from the box office or audiences or anything like that. I know it's still pretty limited release as far as I can tell. Yeah, um, just haven't gotten around to seeing that one yet. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I just think back on, you know, that scene in Spotlight where Mark Ruffalo just goes off like, they knew and they did nothing, you know, that that whole scene. Um, so there are parts in those movies that are, that, that do forefront uh, the journalists' uh, emotional feelings about the case itself. I just feel like in this, it was very much on the nose and the sort of the screenplay and the dialogue, uh, you know, repeated the mantra and repeated the mission statement over and over again to the point where it just got repetitive, which they keep saying like, this is, this is about, you know, abuse and systemic uh, misogyny and systemic, uh, uh, you know, 
harassment in the entertainment industry and we have to find who's covering it up. And it's like, well, yeah, yes, you could have, <laughs> you could have shown that. You could have just shown that in the work, in the things that you're doing. You don't have to physically say it over and over again. So, yeah, I, I agree. You know, think back on it. You know, there are parts of, you know, all the president's men where you see their home life and you see their sort of passion about the doing, getting the case and getting the sort of, um, breaking the case and breaking the corruption, things like that. So, you know, there are parts to it. I don't know. Yeah, you, I, would, I would be interested uh, after you see it to see what you thought of it. I'll, I'll have to check that yeah. one out. It has been on my, my list of things to to watch uh, for yes. the end of the year, which is, is uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a mad dash this last month to try and see <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah, me too, somewhat. Um, <clears throat> I've probably seen less movies uh, in the past two weeks for Two or three weeks, and I've seen, uh, you know, the past <laughs> uh, two months. But yeah, I'm seeing quite a few still. And uh, speaking of one I've seen recently, um, The Fail Women's, I saw this week, obviously directed by Steven Spielberg, co written by Spielberg and Tony Kushner, starring Michelle Williams, stars uh, Gabrielle LaBelle as Sammy, uh, aka Steven Spielberg, young Steven Spielberg. Paul Dano plays Bert Fableman. You have Judge Hirsch playing the uncle. You have Seth, uh, Seth Rogen playing Benny. Um, you know, we uh, talked uh, about... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we've talked about Steven Spielberg in the past. Uh, we've done a top five list about our favorite Spielberg movies. We talked about how all about his movies are very, you know, personal. The things that you sort of look at and think about when you think about, you know, growing up as a kid, growing up as a young movie watcher, those things stand out to you because of the ones that you probably saw the most. I saw Jaws over and over and over again. And, um, you know, E.T. and Jurassic Park and all that and all that stuff. And I was thinking about this and something I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up again on the best of the year show. But it, it just it's it's it, you know, this is a movie about the power of movies. And I think people will sort of wrinkle their nose at that again, doing the using the P words, very pretentious sort of idea to put out there. But I think there is something to that because you think I think about watching Jaws in my living room when I was like seven years old and I can see the living room. I can see the faux wood paneling, you know, 70s, <laughs> 70s interior design was still a thing because people didn't upgrade from the 70s. So you have like this very hokey uh, faux, brown faux wood paneling, a brown shag carpet, had this uh, white um, faux leather couch. My dad was smoking, you know, marble reds and this dirty ass uh, yellow chair, this corduroy red chair or uh, yellow chair. It was probably yellow, probably white to begin with, but he smoked so much it turned it yellow. Um, he was smoking in this ceramic uh, bowl that my mom made him in the shape of a baseball glove because he was a huge Red Sox fan. So all of that stuff that I just mentioned, all of that intimate stuff, that specific stuff, it brings you right back to that moment of watching, you know, Jaws over and over and over again. So I think when you talk about the power of movies, that is some of the stuff you're talking about, right? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's a powerful film. Um, you know, I think that it, it definitely, yeah, the it's very, very nostalgia heavy. And, you know, I think we'll yeah. get to in the show later about how a lot of these directors um, are getting to the point where they're they're getting very much like very nostalgic and th- the this movie seems like yeah it's it's like in when what goes through Steven Spielberg's mind before he starts directing a movie like it's like someone's like Mr. Spielberg Mr. Spielberg and they're like hold on son Mr. Spielberg's <laughs> got to think about his entire life before he directs a movie you know right um, <laughs> And this is this is what goes in his head because it's it's very much a it's it's a kind of storybook 
version of Spielberg's life. It's, you know, a fable. Obviously, it's in the title. Um, you know, that's that's not a coincidence why he uses Fablemans as the stand-in name for his family name. Um, it, yeah. It's definitely Spielberg taking that victory lap. Um, yeah. And of all of these movies that do this and of anyone deserves a victory lap, it's Spielberg. There's a limit to how much I'm going to enjoy a movie like this. But it yeah. is a Spielberg movie. It's still really good. And I think this is probably the best movie that Spielberg has done in a decade. I would say yeah. probably almost definitely, yeah, his best since 2012 when um, Tintin was the last really, really good Spielberg movie, I think. Um, and I also do hold a soft spot for Warhurst. Um, and then I think yeah. Lincoln came and out Lincoln. around the same time. Um, yeah. But yeah, since then, he, he's made some good films, but nothing that I've really loved but I, I did I did enjoy this. Um, I think it's a little bit long. Um, but yes. I, I really I really like that kind of like he's like this is my life, this is my story. Um, it felt like he's really dealing with some things that he had never been able to talk about or um, kind of address before, especially while his parents were alive. But at the same time, he's also addressing a lot of things that everyone in the world knows about Steven Spielberg. Like that last scene, which you know we could talk about in a sec, yeah. um, is something yeah. that I've heard him say in at least three different interviews. Describe that last scene. So when it happened, I was like, I know what this is. Okay, all right. But but then um, and then I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. The Fablemans are gonna get a divorce because every Steven Spielberg movie is about a kid who's going through a divorce. E.T., Jurassic Park, yes. Minority Report, fucking. Catch me if you can. They're all about divorce. We get it, Steven Spielberg. Your parents right. got a divorce. You don't need to spend another two and a half hours telling me about your parents getting a divorce. Um, but I yes. did kind of like how each of his parents were the kind of left and right side of his brain almost. It felt like where, you know, they, they it's pitched as like, oh, here's the creatives versus the artists versus the scientists or whatever. And Spielberg, the yes. reason why he's the GOAT is because he is so good at both. He is No one is as technically brilliant as Spielberg. Him doing those effortless wonders and these amazing shots and things that just revolutionize film and no one can duplicate. And then at the same time, he's also a brilliant artist who is making these... Because films are art. They are just these beautiful pieces of art. As much as they are technical marvels, they are both of these things. And to have his mom be the artist and have his dad be the kind of scientist technician who's you know making these computers and how they both influence him and they're at odds with each other, but in him that kind of comes together, I thought uh, that, was, that was really well done. Uh, there's some stuff in the film that's a little bit clunky for me. Like Judd Hirsch is great, but he's just like, Ah yes, kid, I'm your weird uncle. Let me tell you the whole. Here's here's the thing about the movie. Let me drop the the whole premise on you, and you're like, gotta rip right. you apart. I get it. I get rip it. Apart. But then yeah. there's that scene at the end with the with the bully in the hallway, and I was like, this is some of the best shit that Spielberg's put to film in 30 years. Wow, uh, those, I thought that was those, hokey. Oh, I'm the complete opposite. I I I fucking loved that. That was the only time I was emotionally and really emotionally invested in that was, oh, wow. was I, I did not care about any of the Judd Hirsch stuff or um, like like a lot of the stuff with his sisters felt hollow but yeah I, I loved this, that last scene where they're, they're by the lockers a whole lot um, I thought that was 
Because he's, I don't know, I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it more yeah. if we want to talk about spoilers. But I really, yes. that was a standout moment for me. Um, I want to go back to the thing you were saying a little while ago about the um, division of his mother and his father and who they were as people and how they influenced Stephen in his work. Um, inside the actor's studio, James Lipton's show, um, he asked, this is a, you know, I think this clip has been going around Twitter for a while, so you might have seen it. Um, he asked, it wasn't really a question, more like an observation, but it was one of the most insightful observations I've ever seen an interviewer ask or present to a person. He said, um, you know, your father was an engineer, your mother was a musician. How do the the aliens communicate in Ghost Encounters of the Third Kind? And Stephen goes, wow, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize doing I wish I realized doing when I was doing that, that that's what I meant. But yes, the, the aliens, if you haven't seen it, the aliens in Ghost Encounters are, you know, the ship is the machine and they communicate with music. So bow, bow, that bow, was, a, bow, yes, <laughs> I thought that was a really, really insightful and very uh, profound, uh, you know, observation to make about his movies and how him as a person, right? Yeah, no, that, that's pretty yeah. spot on. That's, that's a, that's, yes. that's very, very insightful. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's get to sort of the end of the movie, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, so you have him, Sammy, on the, let's say, just, you know, Warner Brothers lot. I'm not sure if they ever said what lot it was, but he's there and he wants to meet, he, he gets the chance to meet John Ford. And so he walks into the office and it's smoke filled and you have David Lynch playing John Ford and he's got this eye patch and he sits down and he lights the cigar and he, and he smokes it, puffs it like three or four times. <laughs> and I got a laugh in my theater. Um, and so he says, kid, you want to make movies, huh? And he's like, y- yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he's like, okay, look at that photo over there. Look at that picture or whatever, uh, the painting. And, the, and Sammy goes, yeah, this painting is like, yeah, what do you see? He's like, okay, well, there's two horses, two guys riding horses. No, 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 no. Where's the horizon? The kid's no, like, no, um, no, up. the horizon. <laughs> He's like, it's up, it's uh, down, sir. It's the bottom. He's like, yeah, look at that one over there. Okay, where's the horizon? And he's like, at the top. Yeah, if the horizon's at the top, it's interesting. If the horizon's at the bottom, it's interesting. If the horizon's in the middle, it's boring. It's all you got to remember, kid. <laughs> and then what happens, tell, tell, tell us what happened at the end when he's walking out of the office and he's walking down the uh, the movie lot. Where, yeah, where is so, the camera? What does it do? So little Sammy, Sammy Fableman, Steven Spielberg standing is walking down this, this lot, this Warner Brothers lot, and it's kind of a center shot. And then all of a sudden, just very jerkily, just the camera tilts yeah. up. <laughs> And yeah. then it's the the horizon. The horizon is is the horizon is, is at the uh, bottom. The it's bottom interesting. Thing. And ah, it's such <laughs> an interesting shot. Uh, so yeah, a clever clever way to end it. Uh, you know yes. that that didn't hit for me as I was like, oh, that's that's funny. That sure. that whole scene didn't hit for me nearly as emotionally as um, the what I felt was the real climax of the movie, which was you know in the high school. Um, the high school, yeah, that. Yeah, that didn't work for me. I just feel like, you know, the whole the whole movie is just, you know, him it's like it's like a um hyperbole. It's like a exaggeration of his childhood, right? It's mm-hmm. a fantasy version of his childhood, and I understand that, but like it just felt so like um people like that don't have self-awareness and him just coming to him being like, I was an asshole to you. Why were you nice to me? Why'd you make me look like a golden God? And he's like, I don't know. I just wanted to. And he's like, he starts crying. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know why the way I am. And blah, 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 blah. It's just, ah, no. See, I, I <laughs> love that. I, yeah. I honestly thought that was so, cause yeah, he, 
that character I thought was interesting, the bully character, because um, yeah, uh, the may the because he's just kind of like you know bullying him to go along with it. He's not an actual horrible anti semite like the fucking Oakley's Chad. Oakley's Oakley character, uh, yes. the guy from Pete's Dragon, Chad. Who, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's just Chad, kind of, apparently. Yes, <laughs> he just kind of uh, you know just takes the chuck out, and then but yeah, Spielberg. It's just it worked to me because it's like yeah, this is the power of film, and it's like yeah, he's like he has been terrible to him, and he's just like, he's like why why, and it just ha- makes him have this horrible realization, and just kind of like breaks him, and then it breaks Spielberg or breaks Sammy, and it's just the yeah. I don't I don't know that would that just really it felt like real that felt the most real to me it felt like people just being like wow like why is this happening i don't really understand why this is happening and spielberg being like through sammy being like i don't know why this is happening it it felt the most like these are actual human beings in this kind in this heightened world that we've spent two hours and 15 minutes at that point setting up what they would be like and not just like well, here we go. Off to mom gonna buy a monkey. And I know that Spielberg's mom <laughs> actually did buy a monkey, but yes, it it really worked for me. That though I thought, and just a big part of it was both of their performances are so good. Like both of those actors, like yeah, they've never of them has really been in anything before, um, or in anything major. I thought they both really killed it, and just it's it spoke to me about the power of film and just the way that it can be emotionally manipulative and their relationship I thought was just interesting because it's like yeah he has been horrible to him but he's also the reason that he has that girlfriend indirectly and then he's lost the girlfriend and what does that mean and he doesn't understand his impulses as an artist like he's like why did he he's like maybe it was I just love where he's like he can't answer him he's like maybe it's because I wanted you to like me maybe it's because I wanted to make a good movie and they don't really give an answer. It's like, yeah, both those could be true. Neither of them could be true. It could be some kind of combination or one of them. Uh, It just, you know, and that's the thing. Yeah. That about film is that it's going to hit everyone differently. That was the only part of this movie that I really, really loved. Um, The, and then they they just keep going. I was like, you don't have to keep going. Maybe get, you don't need that whole scene with Paul Dano there at the end. I, I, that did, I was like, I'm not getting any new information here. I've already hit the, emotional climax give me give me the scene you can give me the scene with um you know which i was like okay ford's gonna be stunt cast i i've heard this story before just the weirdest yeah. stunt casting they could have gone with like all right we're gonna get another director <laughs> just right <laughs> just, <laughs> the horizon I, mean, I guess their horizon i guess uh, spielberg early on was a champion of uh of david lynch i think he might have funded or or mm. might have put a good word in for lynch early on right yeah He's got such a distinct yeah. voice that as soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, who is that? It's got to be Stunkett. Oh, it's <laughs> David Lynch. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess overall, I liked it, didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it was overlong. I think he's, I think you're right. It's, it was like 10 to 15 minutes uh, too long. I'm not sure if the end needed to be chopped off. I think it could have chopped some in the middle. I think it, um, I did really like the, um, Shooting them showing how how he shot you know the the war sh- the war movie he made that forty minute war movie he made that was interesting how the actor sort of broke down and how he shot that that was a very interesting um, moment there uh, I think it has interesting moments I just don't think it worked overall as a movie for me yeah and also I'm like Spielberg's not really known for his documentaries and this is it kind of felt like a lot of very documentary stuff especially the stuff yes. with his mom and the 
kind of emotional affair that she was having and how he uncovered that. Um, I thought that was all really interesting and good, but it made me be like, man, I've really got to work on this documentary I've been planning. Like, it really kicked, kicked yeah. something up in me. Yeah, that was the other thing um, I wanted to mention about this, which is that it's interesting that most movies, or a lot of movies, um, and storytelling in general, usually the more specific you are, the more personal you get, the more universal your message is, the more universal your story is. And this is a rare movie, the rare story, where it's so specific and so unique and so um, related just to him. I think it didn't work for me in that in that way, which is which is like, you know, it's it's a um, it's usually it's a rare it's a he breaking the constant you know he's breaking this rule of like you know the more personal your story is the more universal it is which seems like this one for me was so was so personal and so intimate and so his own story that it didn't that it just didn't quite connect with me. Yeah, that's so. why I don't like a lot of these kind of films. Like I talked last year about when Belfast was like people thought it might win Best Picture. I was like I really hope it doesn't because like. I didn't. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. The more personal, the more universal it is. I think the more, I mean, personal things seem to be very good and very powerful. But I don't think that they're necessarily always universal. Like this clearly wasn't. Right. A lot of these, very very personal films that these filmmakers are making. Like, I don't. Okay, I can't relate to being a kid in Ireland in the '60s who likes Thor. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you, you, not in Ireland, but like, you know, with everything everywhere at once, it's, uh, you, you could just see it as, you know, you're not a small Asian girl, <laughs> but you, I had a you know, interesting, uh, similar relationship with my, with my mother and she's taking care of my grandfather right now, the way they are. So there are things you can sort of pick out and be like, okay, I'm not that, I'm not that ethnicity, but I do have that relationship with my parents. So that's the thing you can sort of look at a movie like that. Yeah, that I mean, movie. I'd say the, probably the same thing with like Turning Red. You know, I'm I'm not an Asian girl in Canada, but I've also it's also very specifically towards me because I was in two I was in middle school in 2002 yeah. with a very overbearing mother. Uh, so I get that a lot. Like Turning Red, it feels like one of the very first millennial movies um, to yeah. tap into that specific kind of nostalgia. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, speaking of tapping into nostalgia, uh, After Sun is a movie I saw a couple days ago, still re- really, not really reeling from it, but just sort of processing it. Um, this is a movie directed by uh, Charlotte Wells, uh, stars Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio. Uh, this is a movie that came out of Sundance and came out of Cannes uh, with people saying, you know, emotionally crushed them, <laughs> emotionally wrecked them, emotionally destroyed them. Um, so I was going into that expecting that to to happen to me, and it did a little bit. Um, I think part of it is just like I'm I'm going to see I'm I'm seeing a lot of these uh, movies with my mom because she's uh, bringing me around. She wants to see all these movies, so if I'm watching a movie with my mom can't get emotional with your mother. <laughs> can't let that happen. Um, so you know, it, it, it's a movie about a girl who's like 11 um, going on vacation, one of the last vacations with her dad before going up to school or high school or going back to live with her mother or whatever the, the, the situation is. And it's very much like we were saying with the Fablemans, Fablemans felt like, you know, a home movie that he made. This is, this very much literally feels that way because she is making, um, you know, these little snapshots, these little vignettes with a, uh, video, like a eight track video recorder, um, throughout the movie. Um, very, very good performance. It's one of the best, uh, child performances I've seen this year from Frank, Frankie Corio. Um, I wrote on Letterboxd about this, which is, a, it's a movie that, you know, we have, we see movies about, you know, six, seven year olds. We see movies about teenagers. We see movies about, you know, kids, kids in very specific, um, 
time in their life, <clears throat> I think eighth grade, sort of touched on a little bit this, a little bit of this. She's a little bit older than uh, the character Sophie is in this movie. But uh, you know that time in your life when you're when you're like ten or eleven, and you're hanging out with your dad, and he's like he's still embarrassing you, but you're still just enough just enough of a kid so that the when the world becomes too scary or too weird or too, you know whatever, you can still you still want to run back to that person. Um, for protection, and this very much this very much gets at that, and so you're still at that point where you're looking around and you're like, wow, that 14 year old's got a body like that. Well, you know, is my body gonna be be like that? So it's very very interesting from that perspective to see, you know, that age and that sort of experience uh, put on film like this. So I very much enjoyed it. Okay, how did you how did you watch very, this? Uh, this is playing in a very, um, what is it called, a co-op, very independent theater mm-hmm. um, here in, in Williamsburg, Williamstown. Okay, okay. Uh, so you went so to the theater. About 40 minutes. Yeah, very small, like, independent theater um, near where I live, so thankfully I was able to see this. Yeah, most of the most vast, vast majority of the movies I'm having to go to, like, Albany and uh, Williamstown and, uh, you know, smaller towns around me because the theater that I walk to uh, isn't showing these. Um, but, yeah, hopefully it'll play somewhere near you or it'll probably come to VOD. I can, I can very much see this movie come to VOD uh, very soon, so hopefully you'll be able to catch it there. Okay, all right, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to watch it once, once yeah. it's available, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to some some stuff you've been watching. Shout out the menu this week, which is another one I'm very uh, excited to see. Tell me about this movie. Yeah, this movie. It's one of uh, going into it. I was like, this is either going to be really dumb and bad or like phenomenal. I didn't think this was going to fall anywhere in the in between. And thankfully, I thought this movie was absolutely phenomenal. Um, just really great satire. Just dark comedy. Um, just kind of the whole eat the rich kind of mentality to it just corruption or just kind of just saying all these really big things about just corporations and capitalism and its effect on art and the way it just kind of destroys your soul and you're not even creating art for you anymore and and you are just kind of destroyed by that and it's also aside from all of the political stuff it's just a it's just a great fucking thriller. It's just a really smart, interesting thriller with that's done in a way that is not like anything I've seen before. I think it's really smartly structured where each, you know, act kind of begins with a a menu like or like a uh, it's each act is almost like a a different um course uh and just the way that it kind of uses the title cards as the kind of names of the courses. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holtz are both phenomenal, as is Ray Fiennes, um, as is the rest of the cast. Just, I, I love a good satire, and this one did not disappoint in any way. It's probably going to be on my my list of favorite movies of the year pretty high up. I, I really did enjoy this. Um, it's really good also to see a kind of mid-budget film like this a24 is really the only game in town i believe this is an a24 film uh that is making you know these these movies that aren't like the the two ends of the spectrum that we were talking about where they're the the little pretentious darlings made for forty thousand dollars or the big superhero movies for the hundred thousand dollars it's nice to see a movie with some movie stars and good character actors that is that looks impressive, but isn't, you know, a humongous 
superhero thing with towns exploding that is just set in one location and <laughs> is is yeah. really smartly done um so yeah I, I liked it a whole lot nice uh, i believe uh the menu is from searchlight pictures the searchlight okay yeah so there there we yes. go because disney disney's behind it there we go disney's little indie indie arm yeah yeah i believe a24's movies from this year are the whale i believe they, they distributed uh after sun I believe. Yeah, they did. Um, so They've yeah. done bodies, 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 um, and then yes. everything, everywhere, all at once. Of course, um, so they've, yeah. they've they've had they've had a few bangers this year for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, let's see what else you've been watching. You checked out the policeman, the um, my policeman, <laughs> the, your yes, my policeman, um, the other. Don't worry, darling. The the other movie that Mister uh, Harry Styles is in. Was there any darlings worrying in this movie? <laughs> uh, lots of lots of darlings worrying um, as to kind of steal a a review um, slightly that I saw off Letterbox. This feels like uh, yeah. Girlboss Gatekeep Gaslight the movie, which each of one of its three <laughs> leads being one of those three parts. Um, you know, this yeah. is a movie that I think uh, it's it's. I was kind of wary going in because it's a based on a book that is popular because it got famous on TikTok. And Harry Styles liked the book a lot and, you know, kind of, I guess, campaigned um, to get it made and for him to star in the lead role. Uh, and for anyone who's not familiar, it's set on this trio of characters um, who are kind of all romantically entwined or, you know, love triangle, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, and uh, it fo- go- uh, goes back and forth between their lives in the... 60s and then 30 years later in the 90s after the fall of this and it just it's kind of rough because it is really depressing through most of it um does have some bittersweet stuff but it was a lot better than i expected um i think styles is fine in it um but everyone else is really phenomenal uh the guy that plays the the older version of Harry Styles. Let me let me look up his name real fast because I think he is phenomenal in the movie. Um, he uh, but like everyone is giving these really heartfelt good performances. It's you know saying a lot of things about you know just there's there, I'll spoil one moment in it that is re- was really yeah. just heartbreaking. Um, it's because you know it is about these two this guy who is a policeman played by Harry Styles and him being a closeted gay man in the 60s and then him you know uh he sees this couple um in the 90s that are just out in the open and holding hands and kissing and he just breaks down and starts crying and it's just because he's like he has this mix of emotions where he's happy he's you know happy that obviously that the world is that way but that he's been you know he's had to hide who he is for so long and felt like he couldn't reveal that part of himself to the world and if he did his life would be ruined so he's kind of exiled himself to be unhappy in this life this loveless marriage um at least from his side and he just sees that the world is different now and people could just have all these opportunities and he just kind of breaks in the most heartbreaking way seeing this objectively good thing that he wishes he could have had um uh, so yeah, Rupert Everett, by the way, is the guy who plays that, and he's the one in that scene. No, sorry, not Rupert Everett. He plays oh. the uh, the other older character. Um, it is Linus Roach. Linus Roach. Linus Roach. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Who, um, if people aren't familiar with him, things that uh, he's been in, he was 
Um, one, he was the English king in Vikings, and he's very, very good in that. Um, he's also Thomas nice. Wayne in Batman Begins, and he looks absolutely. <laughs> if you look at those two pictures, you can see it. But one, he's he's doing an American accent. He looks a lot younger, and then in Vikings, he's he's doing his British accent. He's older, and he's a big beard. Um, so it's it's he's he's a very very talented actor. He's also in Mandy and a few other things. Um, but oh, nice. he he is really really good in this movie. Um, so it's it it wasn't like. It's not going to be one of my top movies of the year, but it surprised me with how much I enjoyed it. Nice. I'll definitely check that out. Um, tell me about Disenchanted. This is a long way sequel to the Enchanted film. Yes. <laughs> with Amy Adams and McDreamy, Patrick Dempsey. So yes. tell me about uh, the sequel. Yes. Yeah. I like a sequel. Um, you know, this is a movie that finally we got after, you know, very long. It's, it's by the way, kind of amazing that this movie is happening. Amy Adams is 48 and she still looks incredible so like good for her whatever yeah. she's doing like right. <laughs> great because i'm like she looks not that different from 2007 which is saying something um but uh this movie's bad uh this movie's really bad <laughs> uh i i was very excited for it. i it became a little bit trepidatious going in um and it just is is not interesting it's just there's a song or two that's good but it's very muddled the first Enchanted is so great and so brilliant because it is taking this, these tropes that we all know from the Disney movies and really turning them on their head in a fun way and being like, what if a Disney princess came into the real world and what would that be? And let's have her sing songs and stuff like that and fall in love with this jaded New York guy and there's a really good love story in it. And this one, there's none of that interesting comedy. It's just like, ah, the fairy tale world is in the real world and there's nothing subversive or interesting happening or being said and i know it's not just me and my fucking jaded film self because i i asked my mom who you know she's she's uh not the biggest you know she she's not gonna read sid lumet's book i'll just put it that way um and uh i was like what did you think is she and she didn't like it either so i don't think anybody really oh wow is enjoying this movie there's some good performances um it's uh it's just it's just pretty bland and uninteresting though and yeah i it it's 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 you know there's that happens a lot with legacy sequels where you're waiting so long for this thing and then when it comes out and they just can't recapture the magic um no yeah, you know, this- no pun intended there or joke intended there um <laughs> yeah. But yeah this is yeah this this was a big letdown for me yeah, this is the second one from this year, the Legacy sequel with Magic that I've heard yeah. not great things about. Do you know the other one I'm talking Hocus about? Hocus Pocus was fine. Hocus Pocus was a was thousand fine? times better than this. Hocus Pocus 2 was Hocus a Pocus thousand two. times better than this. Yeah. At least that was something. Okay. This was nothing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Also, uh, catching up with Cobra Kai season five. Man, what are they? <laughs> well, so the original. Um, theory behind this right it was like a retelling of the um karate kid story from the bully's point of view right that the bully was the the victim in Not all a retel- of that, right? well yeah we kind of like it's kind of like the barney St- people who watched how i met your mother barney stinson is like the real hero of those movies. he was the, the billy zapka you know johnny lawrence was the karate kid um then it is kind of like you know a a sequel set, you know, 40 years later when these guys are yeah. middle-aged and uh, about their kids and 
what's gone on with their lives and it's like yeah if you look at things from a certain point of view like maybe he was you know he was because you know you, you he had he's like yeah he ruined my life he stole my girlfriend he kicked me in the face illegally in that tournament you know that shouldn't have been a point and that's that stuff is fun with season one but it it really just is a interesting mix of almost like soap opera-esque drama but done in a really well, well done way and just a really good action martial arts show um and it's it's just really you just care a lot about the characters and just there's some great fight scenes and drama and it manages it really cares about the legacy of the franchise in a way that is kind of stunning to me where the last two seasons the main antagonist has been the antagonist from Karate Kid 3 a movie which no one in the entire world likes but they still are like yeah we're bringing back people we're just bringing back all the legacy of all of these things and you're like yeah like this guy wasn't like the Karate Kid 3 wasn't great but there was still these really good nuggets and they're just like yeah let's bring everybody back let's have Terry Silver come back and be the being bad let's have Mike Barnes and then Chosen the bad guy from Karate Kid 2 the kid is just he comes back and he's just so good and it's a lot of fun um season four season five i just binged through it really quickly it was kind of my background slash chill out show um that i was watching this last week and i i absolutely loved it i cannot wait because i there's no there's only one place for them to go in this last when they haven't announced the last season yet but i'm sure they're gonna do one more season or maybe two and there's only one karate kid film left to go and that is the next karate kid they gotta bring in Hillary Swank. That's how it's gotta end. That's the only person <laughs> left is to bring in yep. the cast from from next Karate Kid, and I'm sure Hillary yep. Swank would be down. Like, why wouldn't she? Um, but yeah, this is these these they're a lot of fun. Um, you know, I went in very skeptical, just kind of like, yeah, whatever. I'll watch it in the background. You know, the season one and two are when it was on YouTube right. are a little bit slower. But man, once once Netflix takes over, it just becomes it becomes a barrel of monkeys. This show. <laughs> nice. I've heard uh, William Zepka on a bunch of different podcasts. I think he was on uh, Bill Simmons's show a couple of times. I think he was on WTF a couple of times. Very, very cool guy. Very much, you know, aware of what, you know, his his reputation in movies is and just very much takes that stuff in stride. So very cool. Very yeah. Cool show. Yeah. And pretty much like the whole cast seems to be like that. You know, it's very, very tongue in cheek. Yeah. Very much like we know. This is this is what we are known for these roles that we played when we we're kids and we're still playing them now that we're in our forties. But you know what? This is fun. We're having a good time with it. Very cool. And then speaking of another good time, uh, we watched Bullet Train this week, which I uh, think I referenced as being like smoking aces on a train. Uh, did you agree with that assessment? That's fun. Yeah, because I saw your letterbox review last night. Because that's exactly like I was watching it. And I was just thinking, this yeah. is bullet trap. Like this, this is, or the, I was like, this is smoking aces, which is like, yeah. I was like the way that it's like, oh, all the assassins are here, and what's there's some kind of yep. big thing behind it, and it's like they are all getting introduced, and they're all kind of like, it's it's a little more, a little more height of a heightened reality than um, yes. uh, smoking aces, and it's it's much more stylistic with the way like the character introductions are done, like Suicide Squad esque style um <laughs> but yeah i mean i do love smoking aces and that's as i was watching it all i was thinking of was this is very very smoking aces um it's not it doesn't hit the same highs that smoking aces hit for me which is i think one of my 
I think is a very, very underrated film. Uh, but this is fun. This is a lot of fun. I went in being like, mm, I'm a little bit skeptical. I was like, hopefully it's a fun time. And it really was. Uh, I think it did some really good stuff. Brad Pitt is is just having a ball in this. It's good to see just yeah. a good action film that is, I mean, it's based on a book, but it's not really based on any widely known IP. Um, I thought, yeah. you know, it's it's directed by David Leach, who did Deadpool 2, and just like Brad Pitt having a very fun cameo in Deadpool 2. Ryan Reynolds has a nice little cameo in this. I thought that was a, that was a nice <laughs> does, little touch. Yeah. Nice little bit of symmetry between actor-director and another actor. Um, it's a little bit sloppy and a little bit messy. Things don't always... It's just like, ah, well, this guy's here. It's all because I've had luck. But there's some really fun stuff. Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Tyler Johnson in particular are really good as, yes. as the the kind of like quarreling brother assassins. Um, Michael Shannon is ridiculous as always. Uh, he's... He's, he's incredible and terrifying <laughs> um yeah yeah this this is a lot of fun this is you know a it dropped on net i've been meaning to watch it for a while uh and i was like thinking about like you know trying to rent it or something but i was like i don't really want to pay for it and then right when i was thinking that it just dropped on netflix so i was like all right well now i have to watch it this is the most this is, i feel like it's the most watch it on netflix movie of all time to be honest Yes, exactly. Um, you know, a lot more fun than the Gray Man, the the other action movie from from this year on Netflix. A lot more fun, a lot more inventive action, a lot better shot action. Thought it was shot very well. I thought Brad Pitt did some incredible. He probably did a lot of that stunts himself, which are always helpful in sort of keeping you um, in the movie. Uh, yeah, very close no, action. Yeah, yeah definitely. There, um, just some ridiculous set pieces though of like. Um, one of the guys, what's his name? Uh, Aaron, Taylor, Aaron Taylor Johnson gets thrown off the train, and then he's on the back of it and standing on the back of a of a bullet train, you know, <laughs> going three hundred miles an hour, and he's just standing on the back of it, just like breaking the window with his, with it basically with his bare hand. I'm just like, okay, yeah. that's that's too far. You couldn't have him. You couldn't put a gun on him. Couldn't put like a fucking some kind of weapon on him, so he doesn't have to <laughs> break the back of the, mm-hmm. the the window with his bare hand. Come and on, just now. like everyone getting uh, shot and they're all fine. And I I really did yes. not buy that. Di- Brian Tyree Henry would just like throw himself off the train like that. I was like, that is right. No way that character would do that, but it, it still had a that that little mid credit scene where he came back. I thought was was pretty brilliant. So there's a lot of good stuff in yeah. this, honestly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so by uh, we're getting to the end of the show here. Let me just ask you: We've seen a few different. We we're talking about this with the Fablemans, a bunch of different um, filmmakers' personal films this year. Apollo Ten and a Half, uh, Richard Linklater's movie, Armageddon Time for by James Gray, Bardo, which I have yet to see by Inuritu, Fablemans. We have the Eternal Daughter. We have Junior, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, documentary on Netflix, which I believe is on there now. Um, we still include Belfast from last year. Do you, is there one of the movies that stand out to you as as better than some of the other ones? Are you? Is it, it just? And also, isn't it weird that like right now we're getting so many of of these like filmmakers looking inward, very introspective movies? Do you think it had to do with the pandemic, or do you think it has more to do with them sort of getting to that age where they're looking back on their life? I think it's both of those things, and I think it's also that, you know, the kind of auteur-driven films are dying out, and these guys are like, well, I need to tell my story now. I need to tell, and it, yeah. it's, it's very self-serving, I think, of just being like, like, well, you know, all these mo- you know, I all these character studies and, you know, the auteur-driven kind of, like, pictures are, are just kind of um, getting, you know, 
passed over for more um, kind of the franchise films, which, you know, is some things are good about it. I'm not the biggest fan of those, that kind of like, you know, just like, let's just give whatever guy a blank check and let him do whatever he wants for the rest of time. And he's a genius. And who cares about who the screenwriter was because the director was great. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the auteur theory, but also I think that the way that franchise films are were just kind of dominating everything right now is a little not great. And I think that this is maybe just these guys being like, this is my last chance to tell my great story because I'm a great auteur and here it is. Um, as far as do any of these stand out, Fableman's definitely is, I think, the of the ones I've seen because um, I haven't gotten a chance to see uh, Bardo yet or Armageddon Time um, but I or Eternal Daughter for that matter. Uh, I'm not going to watch probably Apollo 10. I might watch Apollo 10 on the app. I don't like Richard Linklater, though. I have no interest in his, like, oh, really? here's my thing. And I didn't enjoy Belfast very much. Um, so Fableman's, I think, would be head and shoulders above any of these. Have you not seen any of the uh, the, before, the the Before Trilogy? I I do like the Before Trilogy. I will say that okay. those, are the, <laughs> those are the Linklater movies that I do um, like a lot. Uh... Yeah, he. I mean, he's hit or miss for me. Some of his movies, um, I really don't like. Um, the the four movies, though, especially Sunrise is. I think I think Sunrise is is a masterpiece. Um, but yeah. some of his movies, I really do not give a fuck about. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, let's see. So. Getting to the end of the show here, end of the year, one of the last podcasts of the year. We have one more to go before the best of the year podcast. Um, how solidified is your list? We're going to do, probably going to do, so the problem is, listen, <laughs> got a problem here. <laughs> Where you and I see a shit ton of movies, and Dan and Andy, who I want on the show, haven't seen shit. They don't like making lists. They're they're curmudgeons, they're uh, troglodytes, they're philistines, blah, blah, blah. We know this. So, trying to figure out the format for the show. And what I want to do is have at least, you know, solidified list for for posterity's sake right so i would like to have a you know top five list top five movies maybe top five shows just so we can sort of compare and contrast at the end of the year um how how solidified is your top five list of movies maybe top 10 list of movies for 2022 uh so i think my top five is pretty set in concrete um i think my top 10 though like that five through 10 is much less so um because there's a lot of stuff i have yet to see because it has not been released or um, I just haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. So I, I do think that my top five, I don't see them moving because I, I really think those are all uh, great films, but there's a lot of r- wiggle room with the rest of them. It's just been such a good year in general for film that it that is the tough part, deciding what would and what wouldn't make the list of a, of a solid top five. Um, I am... I am glad that I am, uh, and I'll just give myself a little bit of a shameless plug here. Um, me and my friends Alan and Ariel, uh, who who do my other podcast, Underrated, we also have a Patreon, and we're gonna do our top ten um, of the year, uh, film-wise, on that. So I will have at least, you know, a, and I am, you know, trying to make sure that they I, they do have a come at me with a solid top ten <laughs> list because. Uh, um, yes, it's the same. It's a little bit of the same problem, but they do, I think, see more yeah. films than uh, than your buddies. Um, but uh, yeah. they, they, I will have at least that document. Um, so you know, 
hopefully hopefully some people will be able to listen to that on patreon because i i think we're doing more of a loose loose kind of thing on this show yeah we are gonna do like you know what's you know going from we're gonna have a loose like general here's some of the good stuff and then we're gonna we're gonna transition to the better stuff and the best stuff at the end there so that's basically what we're gonna do with that um, yeah. So, uh, one more thing before we get to the Letterboxd assignments and the Letterboxd, um, assignments from last week. Uh, Pinocchio is a movie coming out. They had two Pinocchios this year. We had one from, with Tom Hanks, uh, playing Geppetto. Um, then we have a Guillermo del Toro's darker version of Pinocchio. I heard a great joke about how Pinocchio is a... You know, he's a wooden boy who wants to become a real boy, right? And every every iteration that we've seen over the past however many years that Pinocchio has been a thing, uh, he's always been a, a, a fake boy trying to become a real boy, never a fake girl trying to become a real girl or a, or a fake boy trying to become a real girl. And I think it's because of uh, internal mahogany. Oh, my God. Moving on, uh, letterbox assignments. We were assigned this movie uh, two weeks ago. And my assignment was Amelie, movie from 2001, obviously, obviously starring uh, Audrey Tatao as the titular Amelie. We have uh, Matthew Kasovitz, who was in one of my favorite TV shows from the past few years, The Le Bureau. Um, this was directed by uh, Jean-Pierre Jundet. Uh, I'm not sure of anything else he's done, but uh, I really enjoyed it. it. Has a very you know, I, w- I would not be surprised if uh, somebody like Wes Anderson was inspired by these sort of camera movements and the compositions and sort of that sort of stuff from this movie. Um, you know, he obviously started before this movie came out in the mid, mid-90s, but I feel like his sort of very specific style of camera movement and sort of symmetry in the uh, composition of his shots was very much inspired by a movie like this. So it's very, very cool. Very, very glad I finally caught up with this. I believe it's on one of those lists that you should see before you die. So mm-hmm. finally saw that one. Um, then your assignment was Chicago. What would you think of the musical? I think it, I think it's <laughs> supposed this to movie. call it Chicago! Because that's how Chicago. every fucking word is yeah. sung in this wow. movie. Okay. Um, it is it is very much a a very Broadway esque musical, not like an old school yes. MGM or like a Disney kind of like or even like a La La Land kind of musical. It's very much like wow, this was clearly made for the stage, and finding out also that this was something where they're. In, uh, it was adapted from a 75 play or a 75 musical which was based on a an earlier play which it itself had been adapted into two films and it does feel like here's we have a, a kind of a bare bones plot and here we're just gonna ha- insert song and insert song and uh, I didn't love it uh, I I yeah. really did not I guess it was. You know, I was talking about how the satire earlier in the menu was really well done. I didn't think that the satire worked for me at all here. Um, it it was it felt very just broad theater, um, just kind of uh, like playing to the cheap seats the whole time. And some of the songs, like there was this fucking song with Richard Gere where he's like a puppeteer that I was just like interminable. I was like, this shit needs like it's never ending. <laughs> And it was like the longest right. two-hour movie I've ever seen in my life. It it, it felt like oh. <laughs> I, I just I really did not have. I was so bored watching this movie. Um, right. It, and the fact that it won Best Picture in two thousand two, which was a phenomenal film year, 
yeah. is kind of insane to me. <laughs> it's also a yeah. huge disappointment to me that this is the only musical to win Best Picture since the 60s, which is wild because right. we've had so many uh, great yeah. musicals that have come out since then that are so much better than this. Um it's it was not what I was expecting at all. I was not expecting a like it starts with like <laughs> Renee Zellweger like murdering a guy in cold blood and you're like, Oh Oh nice. And that's what the whole movie is about is like her being in jail and then they sing a song about how it's kinda cool to kill a guy if they choose gum an annoying way and I'm like, What? And so it it's uh it's it's uh it's an interesting film. Um I would really like to go back and watch the Ginger Rogers 40s version or even the silent film version that were based on the play that was not the musical to see if I would like those any better because I think there is some um, interesting stuff in here. I, I just I didn't love the ending either. I think it uh, there is because it is very much about like the movie's moral is about fame and just the way that people have these cycles where we get attached to someone in this case, like, Oh, a prisoner who is clearly a bad person, but they kind of become this person we all rally around. And then we move on to the next thing. And it kind of makes that a half measure at the end of the movie, kind of is saying something about that, but then it just goes back and it's like, ah, but no, it's okay. They're famous. Uh, did you end up watching this? Cause I know you said you were thinking about watching it. Thinking about it. Unfortunately could not, uh, it up in time yeah, yes no. I, I, I need to watch it because it's one of the i think one or two movies i haven't seen from the best pictures winners of the 2000s um, i have to see this i have to see um the crash and i have to see um the 2009 uh slumdog millionaire so there's mm. those those three of the last ones i have to see from the 2000s best picture winners which are probably lugubrious and <laughs> probably not great as much as this one is yeah like yeah. like slumdog i think this is movie is, is just kind of fine like i like slumdog better than this one but it seems like one of those movies that wins best picture and then everyone just kind of forgets is a thing um yes definitely yeah, the, yeah. The, i think that the oscars are very very notorious for that um just kind of really just not being very just being very short-sighted you know and i think this is just another example of like nominating movies that have absolutely zero cultural impact two three years later and this is another one of those yes avatar you know <laughs> we'll see about the cultural impact of that first movie see if people come back into theaters i was gonna uh get a ticket for the um 30 not 30 uh fps was it 30 yeah i think 30 fps uh version at my local theater and it was already packed so i think you know, another another Cameron winner. You can't ever count that guy out. Never, never go against Cameron is the rule. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm just seeing the regular, the regular version. I've got a ticket because I, yeah. you know, my person who was seeing it, they don't want to see it in 3D. And I was like, yeah, cool. I would like to see oh. this in IMAX and stuff like that and yeah, uh, all that. But also, I don't care about Avatar. So if I just see it on a regular no. screen, I'm sure it'll still look good. Um, I'm not going to go to a horror, like get in like the horrible <laughs> seats at the front just so that I could like, I'm like, if I'm seeing, yeah. that's going to defeat the purpose of like, if I'm in a really bad seat where I can't see anything, it's going to defeat the purpose of seeing it on a better, bigger screen. So I might as well just Absolutely. see a normal version. Yep. Like a, yes, like yes, a, yes. Uh, uh, a Philistine, you know? <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's get our assignments for two weeks from now. Let me refresh. Cause I had a thing on there that I watched already. Um, so I'm going to go to my letterboxed watch list. I'm going to go down 
to sort by shuffle. Gonna watch the first thing that pops up, which is a horror movie, a pretentious horror movie, I think, from 1966, called the Eyes. No, sorry, the from 1978, called the uh, called the Eyes of Lower Mars, directed by Irvin Kirshner, which his name sounds familiar for some reason. He Why do did I know that name? Um, Empire Strikes Back. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. Uh, the stars: Faye Dunaway, Tommy Lee Jones, Brad Dorf. Love Brad Dorf. Mm-hmm. Loved him in uh, in um, Exorcist Three. It was fantastic in that. Um, yeah, a lot of cool people in this. All right, so I'll be checking this one out for next time. Synopsis is: A famous fashion photographer develops a disturbing ability to see through the eyes of a serial killer. Nice. Very young Tommy Lee Jones, apparently. Cool. I'll be checking that one out in for next time. Uh, Derek, go ahead and go to your watch list. And hit shuffle. Tell me what you found. All right, I'm very, very excited about the one I just <laughs> got. Uh, I am, I am Go ahead. very stoked for this. Uh, I got. It is the follow up for both the writer and director of one of my favorite films of all time. Speaking of uh, another 2002 film, I got two, two in a row here. Um, another one that maybe yep. people think should have beaten it uh, at the Oscars. Um, so it's the follow up uh, to being John Malkovich for both Spike Jones and. Um, as the director and Charlie Kaufman as the writer, um, and that is adaptation. Uh, the nice. kind of very Beautiful. metatextual, uh, bizarre film. So I am I am excited to see this because yeah, like I said, Mal- yeah. being John Malkovich, one of my absolute favorite films of all time. Um, so I'm excited nice. to see these two work together again because they had they really bring out the best in each other. Um, so. Yeah, this will be good. This is a film I've wanted to watch for a very long time. I'm glad that I now am forcing myself to do it. <laughs> yes, yes. I uh, love that combination of writer and director. I loved uh, Adaptation. I loved um, Cinedosh New York. Um, I loved um, what is uh, Anomalisa. Um, I loved um, what was the one he did a couple of years ago now. Um, um, the end of the, Not the end of the world. Oh, oh uh, yeah. I'm thinking of ending things. I think of anything. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, so that's a good movie. Yeah, I'm yeah. jealous. I'm jealous that you got that one. I might check that out as well because it's been a while since I've seen that one. Yeah, I mean, on, on uh, one of, yeah, speaking well, of Kaufman, one of my all-time favorite films is uh, also um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's a fucking yeah. amazing film. Amazing, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. All right, so let's do some plugs. Uh, plug in the Medium blog. I am trying <laughs> my best to get my ass down to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, write some stuff down some best of lists best of podcasts best of audiobooks I listened to some very good ones in the past week so I'll be doing that um, you know when I was watching the the thing that I forgot to mention about trying to watch uh, Gene Dealman I turned off the computer turned off my phone lasted about an hour and a half I was like ah, I can't watch this woman peel potatoes anymore I have to do something else so you know the, the, just gotta, gotta strap down you gotta, gotta gird my loins to get that done um, so go to Letterboxd, B for Benedetta on there, film SES on YouTube, go to anchor.com to post a podcast and go back to all my podcasts for the year. I fanboy at the beginning of the year, had Lena Wilson on there, had Cinema Tech on there, and I had author B.R. Yeager talking about his book, uh, Negative Space, one of the favorite books I have listened to this year. Derek, what did you got to plug? So yeah, I will plug, as I kind of hinted at before, my podcast, Underrated. Uh, it's a film podcast where we review films that are underrated, um, and uh, that is available on all of the 
uh, podcast app. So however you are listening to this, you can go ahead and listen to Underrated. Um, and then we also have a Patreon. Just look up patreon.com slash undercastcompany. We do a couple other podcasts as well. Um, this Underrated comes out on the same day uh, every other Monday as this podcast does. So for Christmas... Uh, we decided to talk about a film and debate whether or not it was a Christmas film or not, and that was The Green Knight, and had a lot of really interesting discussions about uh, the film and then what it means to be a Christmas film and if that's its own genre and what does that genre entail if it is one. Um, So that was a lot of fun, and that's going to be our 99th episode, which means we're going to be hitting episode 100 two weeks from now. Um, We're going to be talking about Stardust, one of my all-time favorite films. We're going to be doing... Um, a that's going to be on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, um, December 26th. Uh, we're going to be doing a watch-along for that in our Discord. Um, so if you want to watch Stardust with us um, virtually, we're going to be doing that. Um, and hopefully it's going to be a lot of fun. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, check all that stuff out. Um, so yeah, for Can I Say Something, I've been Damien. And I've been Derek. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.